Welcome to the ministry of Smyrna Presbyterian Church. Founded in 1914, Smyrna Presbyterian Church believes in the Bible as the Word of God and so desires to preach, teach, pray, and sing that Word so as to know Christ and make Him known in our community, country, and world. We invite you to join us in that mission. Worship services are every Sunday at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. Here now is our pastor, the Reverend Joel Smith. If you have your Bibles, turn to Joshua chapter 24 as we come to the uh, final scriptures of this book of Joshua. Tonight looking at two verses, verses that will sound familiar to you once we read them. Beginning in verse 14, now therefore fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your sight to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river, or the god of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. Please be seated. This last week and this coming week, there will be thousands that return to school, as we've mentioned. And with the start of school comes the start of sports and sports teams, and with that, practices. And they'll be out there working hard and sweating and giving their all to their sports, and they'll be doing that which their coaches tell them to do, and then they will begin their season, and they will play their games. Now imagine for a moment that there is a particular team that wins all of their games, and wins the tournament, and ultimately wins the championship. And as they gather back in the locker room, and they are celebrating, trophy in hand, Imagine the coach standing up and saying something like this. Team, you've worked hard. You have done well. You've won the championship. But before you go out now, go out there in the public and represent this team and represent this school as champions. You need to choose if you're going to be on this team. Because if you're going to be on this team, it's going to take wholehearted dedication and service. And if you don't have that wholehearted dedication and willingness to serve, to serve this team, to serve this school, to serve this community, then it's best that you not be a part of this team and to not wear that jersey anymore. In fact, it would be best if you got off this team and went ahead and wore the jersey of that team that you just beat, the losing team. In fact, here's their jersey. Because if you're not for us 100%, then you're against us. It is either or. And so team, you need to choose this day what jersey you're going to wear. And what team you're going to represent. 
And you might say that would be an odd thing for a coach to say, and I would agree with you. And even the players in this hypothetical situation might say, Coach, we just, we just won. We've already put in all the hard work. And yet the coaches say, no, it's now when the hard work begins. So make sure that you're all in. That is, in a sense, what Joshua does here and what is probably the most famous of verses in the book of Joshua. In a sense, the people of Israel have already won, have they not? The nations have been defeated. They are about to begin to settle into the land. And now it's Joshua that says to them, no, now is the time that you need to choose. You either need to serve the living God or serve the other gods. You need to serve the true and living God or you're to serve the dead idols of the nations. You must choose this day what team you're going to be on. And the Israelites that day might be thinking, well, haven't we already made that choice? Way back when, when we entered into the land, when we lined up in the battle formation, when we fought all of those wars, weren't we already saying that we are on the Lord's side? Joshua says to them, no, it's today that you must choose. And Joshua clearly lays out the two roads. Fear of the Lord and service to Him or service to idols. And those are our two points for tonight. First, we see the fear of the Lord and service to Him. Two weeks ago, we looked at this lead up to this exhortation and charge to Israel. And Joshua, as you remember, recounts the history of Israel. Counts God's covenant faithfulness. As Joshua has gathered all of Israel in Shechem, and there we saw that this place is filled with historical significance. It's the place that God first brought Abram way back when. In fact, it was his first stop in the promised land. After God had told him to leave his fathers and to leave his land and to go to this place that I will show you. And it's there In Shechem, that God says, this is the place. This is the land that I will give to your ancestors or give to to those that come after you. And that I will make you into a great nation. This land I will give to your descendants and I will bless you and I will bless them. And through you and through them, they will be a blessing to all the nations. It was there at Shechem that God did that for Abraham. And so now Joshua gathers all the people in that very historical place and says, look around. All that God has promised to Father Abraham, land, nation, blessing, can check off each one of those just as he said he would do is that, in fact, is what he has done. And so, Joshua says, we must fear him. We must serve him. And as we have made mention many times from this pulpit, we see that these 
imperatives always rest on the indicatives that the those things that God has done is the very motivation and very reason why we are to do what we are called to do. Two New Testament writers write in the same way, do they not? Think, for example, in the great book of Romans, Paul lays out 11 chapters of doctrine, of this great work of salvation, and then it's in chapter 12, verse 1, that he says, therefore, in the light of all that God has done, I urge you to offer up your bodies as living sacrifices. In the light of God's mercy, this is what we are called to do. And proper preaching does the same. In the light of who God is, in the light of what God has done, this is what we are and what we are to do. That was the same this morning, was it not? Who are we as the church? What are we called to do? Both are realities because of who God is and what God has done. And Joshua does the same here. In the light of God's covenant faithfulness to fear and serve the Lord. And this idea of fearing the Lord may sound odd to our modern ears. In a culture that tries to remove all fear, that tries to make everything as easy and comfortable as possible, why is it that Joshua says we are to fear the Lord? Well, because there must be proper fear and reverence of God, that that is not proper for us to remove that aspect, that we are always to have this aspect and understanding of God, that God is great and holy and somewhat other than us. We could even say altogether other than us. He is God and we are not. We are man. We are made of flesh. He is the almighty and eternal God. And this is the command not just here in Joshua. This is the command Throughout the scriptures, let me give you a a list here of several scriptures that talk about the fear of the Lord and see how prevalent this truly is and how often this command is throughout the scriptures. In Deuteronomy 10, verse 12, it says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord our God require of you but to fear the Lord your God? Psalm 34, 9, Oh, fear the Lord, you saints, for those who fear him have no lack. Proverbs 1, verse 7, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Ecclesiastes twelve thirteen. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Solomon summarizes all that he has said up to that point with this statement. Fear God. Keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. And you might say, well, that's the Old Testament. That was this type of uh, slavish fear unto God. Well, no, because we read the same in the New Testament as well. Acts 9, verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord. And in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Notice that they do not put the peace and the comfort of God at odds with the fear 
of the Lord. But those two things go together. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1, Let us bring holiness to completion in the fear of the Lord. One more, 1 Peter 2, 17, Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. And so that exhortation to fear God is not removed in the New Testament as much as we see it here in the Old Testament. So what does Joshua and the Scriptures mean by the fear of the Lord? Well, again, it's not this slavish fear of being afraid. It's not the fear of the unbeliever. It's not the fear of Adam and Eve as they tried to hide from God in the Garden of Eden because they recognized their holiness in the midst of uh, their unholiness in the midst of the holiness of God. But rather the fear of the Lord is this reverential fear. It's a respect of persons for who God is and what he has done. As mentioned before, it's recognizing God as God. As our theology and understanding of God grows, so too must our fear of him. To see him as great and awesome. To see him as the infinite and almighty and holy and merciful God. We can't help but recognize our smallness, our limitations, our own sinfulness even, in the light of who God is. As a result, the, the proper attribute, the proper response is fear. Proper recognition of God is God, that he is God, we are not. The proper reverence, the proper acknowledgement. That's why when we use his name, one of the Ten Commandments is that we are to not use the Lord's name in vain. Why? Because his name represents all of who he is. It represents the whole. And therefore we are to use his name with, with care. Not as just a, a word to be thrown away, as so many often do. As just a, something as an exclamation at the end of a sentence. No, we are to use the name of God because his name represents the whole of who he is. And in the light of that proper recognition, we are to worship in reverence and in fear and awe. Knowing who you approach and the purpose for which you approach. Again, Hebrews chapter 12, a a New Testament verse. Don't miss that. It says, offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. We see no one in scripture that approaches God with any less than the fear of God. Any less than the holiness and and reverence that is required. That is what we speak of when we speak of the fear of God. And that is what Joshua is calling the Israelites to. As in the light of all that God has done. How can we not recognize how great and almighty and awesome he truly is. And so in the light of this fear, then he goes on to say, we are to serve him. Notice that those are two sides of the same coin. They must always go together. If you recognize who God is and who we are, then the right response will be service to Him. 
And that is the task in which we are called. We're to serve God as servants or even perhaps to say as slaves. Some might say, well, that seems kind of odd. Didn't they leave Egypt because they were slaves there? Why would they now become servants and slaves once again? Well, the difference is who they are serving. In Egypt, they were serving the cruel taskmaster of Pharaoh, who they slaved for, but it was never enough. could never satisfy Pharaoh. His cry was always to, to work harder and to provide less. Well, now we are servants, yes. Now we are slaves, but we serve a benevolent and loving master, the Lord God Almighty, who still has demands upon us, don't get me wrong, but those demands are for our good and not for our harm. Things that are for our best and not for our hindrance. And he calls us to serve him in the light of what he has done for us. In the light of the fact that he has served us. That he has given Christ. That Christ has given his life for us. We are now to give our life to him. And so we don't do so out of reluctance or hesitation. We don't do so out of some uh, obligatory reason but we do so because we are now willing in the light of what Christ has done for us. And that's what even Joshua says here as well. Look in verse 14. He says, Fear the Lord and serve Him. How? In sincerity and in faithfulness. That Joshua is not removing the heart aspect of our service. As Calvin says, I give my heart sincerely and promptly to you, O Lord. That is what Joshua is saying here, is that we give the whole of ourselves, not just externally, but we give our hearts and our minds in that sincerity and in that faithfulness because we desire to do so. Because Christ has changed our hearts, has given us new hearts in Him. And so we serve and fear in joyful obedience. And those really are the chief objects, the chief Fruits of the believer, are they not? Of the Christian. Jesus says you will know a tree by its fruits. And all fruits come back to this. Does he or she love and fear the Lord? Does he or she serve God? Because if one loves and fears the Lord... And if they serve God, then that is a tree, no doubt, full of fruits. But if a person does not love and fear God, if they do not serve Him, then that is a tree that has no fruit. And they are either a very weak believer or probably, most likely, not one at all. And so that is the question tonight, is it not? Do we fear and love the Lord? And if so, how is that making a difference in our life? And can others see it? By the way that I live, by what I do, the way that I serve, 
Is your life God and others oriented? Or is our life, in many ways, selfishly motivated? Thinking, talking, acting only for ourselves. That is not service at all. We naturally take care of ourselves. We naturally help ourselves. We naturally serve ourselves. That comes through natural instincts, right? But it's only a heart that has been changed, that has been redeemed, that begins to put God and others before self as greater loves, as we love God and fear Him. So we will serve God and others before ourselves. And that's really, again, we could go to so many different scriptures, but that is the, the heart, that is the, the, the true root, if you would, of what it means to love God and to serve Him. It means to fear God and do that which He has called us to do. Well, Joshua then goes on to say, if that is not pleasing in your sight, if you think that is evil, then go ahead and serve idols. And Joshua clearly puts the choice before them. If you're going to serve the Lord, then you must put away all idols. It's one or the other, but it cannot be both and. But as he says there, but if you think this is an evil, then serve the gods in the river and in Egypt. Choose this day whom you will serve. Verse 15, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you will dwell. You might ask yourself, is Joshua really saying that they should go and serve other gods? Well, I think what Joshua is doing here is he's laying out the absurdity of serving anyone other than the true and living God. Just as he says, well, perhaps you should go serve the God of your fathers beyond the river. If you remember two weeks ago, we saw that God called Abraham from this. In Joshua 24, verse 2, it says, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham, and of Nahor, and they served other gods. God called Abraham out of that. And as we said, he goes on to say, and look what God did for Abraham. Abraham left those idols. He was faithful to God. And look at how God blessed him with a land and a nation. And we are part of that blessing. But Joshua says, but if you want to, you can go serve those other gods. You might see what they are able to give you. He says, for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. Because he's the one that has been tried and proven. And has shown his faithfulness again and again. 
Again, notice he says, well, perhaps you may want to serve the, the God of the Egyptians. God demonstrated through the ten plagues that they were worthless, that they were no gods at all. But Joshua says, but hey, maybe you think they're a better God. Maybe go ahead and, and try them. Or maybe, better yet, maybe you want to try the gods here in this land. The gods of the Amorites. God defeated those people and their gods. And this day, he says, you dwell in their land. Well, go ahead. Serve them. Serve those defeated gods. Maybe you will have better luck with them. But again, he says, but for me and my household, we will serve the Lord, the one that has given this land, the one that has already defeated all those other gods. And so Joshua basically has laid before them the circuit of idols, the tour de idols, so to speak. And says, well, maybe you want to serve that God. Well, no, that, that God's not very good. And Well, maybe this God would be better. Well, no, no, that one not either. Oh, how about this one over here? No, once again. Huh, look at that. There is only one true and living God. And I think, again, Joshua is laying before them how absurd it would be in the light of all that God has done to go after any other gods. This is similar to what Elijah did at Mount Carmel. He makes a mockery of Baal and those that worship him. In 1 Kings 18, it says this, that uh, those that worshipped Baal went out, called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no one to answer. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them. Notice that. And said, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is musing, or he's relieving himself, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. Again, Elijah is making lights of the fact that this is no God at all. That he is an idol made out of rock or stone or wood. He can't hear your prayers. He can do nothing for you. And goes on to demonstrate who is the true and living God. And Isaiah, again, does the same in Isaiah 45 talking about the absurdity of those that would worship idols. He says this of the man that does so. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over the half he eats meat. He roasts it and is satisfied. Also he warms himself and says, Aha, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his idol, and falls down to it and worship it. He prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my god. Isaiah goes on to say, no one considers, nor is there knowledge or discernment to say, half of it I burned in the fire. I also baked bread on its coals. I roasted meat 
and have eaten? And shall I make the rest an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? Again, Isaiah is saying how foolish it is to take something that you have made and to call it your God. And yet we can sit here tonight and think that we are much more sophisticated than that, much more modern. None of us are perhaps falling down before idols. None of us are worshiping little figurines in our house. But we'd have to say that everyone that does not fear and serve God serves idols. They may not be idols of wood or stone, but they are idols nonetheless. As one man, one musician put it, perhaps you've heard it before, as Bob Dylan once said, you're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. And that is, in a sense, what Joshua is saying, is that you're either going to worship and serve the true and living God, or you're going to serve another idol. And serving another God doesn't make any sense, because it'll demand more and more, and it will provide less and less. And that is true of all our modern-day idols, is it not? If you would serve money, or pleasure, or power, or prestige, or beauty or charm, wealth or wisdom, all is fleeting. Scriptures would say all of it is dust in the wind. All you have to do is read Ecclesiastes to know that it is all vanity. And therefore, as Solomon says there at the end of Ecclesiastes, therefore fear the Lord, serve his purpose, obey his commandments. That is what Joshua says here as well. For me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And notice that Joshua doesn't just say, for me and myself, I will serve the Lord. No, he says, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua understood covenant theology. How God deals with whole households, not just individuals. And says, as long as I'm living, my household will serve the true and living Lord. And some in our modern day, well, would say that we, we can't force our faith upon our children or our grandchildren or our great-grandchildren. Well, I don't think Joshua is forcing this upon them. But Joshua, all of his life, is almost 110 years that he has lived He has modeled to them what it means to fear God and to serve Him. And as we've said before, this is Joshua's departing speech. He doesn't have many more days and he can say confidently here, looking at his children, his grandchildren, perhaps his great-grandchildren, that me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And much the reason that they can serve the Lord is Joshua was a prime example as a father, as a grandfather, of what it meant to fear and serve God. And his children and grandchildren, no doubt, 
modeled their life after Joshua. And I would say to all of us that we can't have a a better example, a better model than that of Joshua. Was Joshua perfect? By no means. But he was a model of godliness. As a result, he and his household served the Lord. And that should be our prayer. And not only our prayer, but we should be working towards that end, should we not? To make disciples of those, first and foremost, in our own homes. Because there is no better thing, I think, to be able to say at the end of life, as sinners redeemed by the grace of God and the mercy of Christ, that we are sinners, but we are redeemed and forgiven sinners. And that we have lived our life as best as we could in fear and service to the Lord through the power of the Holy Spirit, that we have taught our children, our kids, and our grandkids, hopefully, to do the same. And when the world tells us to do otherwise or bids us away, we have continued with the Lord. And so to be able to sit at the end of our lives and to say for me and my household, by the grace of God, we will serve the Lord. That is what I would say, or they say out there, would be priceless. Because everything else will fade away. But that which will last for all of eternity is that which we are able to pass on to the future generations. And so this night, may we take this exhortation to heart that we'd examine our lives in the light of it. That we would fear and serve the Lord through the Lord Jesus Christ. That we would wear with privilege and joy the jersey of the Lord Jesus Christ. That we would be on His team. That we would do as Joshua commands for us to do. To choose this day whom we will serve. So that both we and our household would truly serve the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this exhortation tonight. And Lord, this exhortation is in the light of what you have done for us. And Lord, that is our prayer, that is our desire. Lord, we know that uh, we have not always lived as faithfully as we could in the light of your faithfulness to us. But Lord, we thank you for your grace, your mercy, and even for your forgiveness. And Lord, we do pray for our children, for our grandchildren, for even our great-grandchildren, oh God, that they would see the foolish ways of the world, that all other ways are vain idols, but you are the true and living God, and that they would use their life to fear and to serve you as well. May you work in the hearts of our children and our grandchildren. We pray this all in Christ Jesus, our Savior's name. Amen.